tonight's all uh, duplicated and have them ready for everybody by Sunday, okay? All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open to, with me to the book of Revelation, chapter number 10, and they will have it on the screen as well. But um, before we get into it, I, I, since it's only 11 verses, why not let's just read it? Does that sound okay? Chapter number 10 of the book of Revelation, and uh, let's read it tonight together, and then we will get into it. So we'll get a, an overview here of the whole chapter before we cover it verse by verse. But um, verse number one, we're talking here tonight about a, a mighty angel of God and a little book in his hand. And uh, so let's look at it tonight. Chapter 10, verse 1. John said, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But um, I was about, uttered the voices. I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up, his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when, it, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so, went, so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Father, we ask you to bless uh, the ministry of your word tonight. Help us to teach, open our hearts to receive, and we give you praise and thanks for all you do in the name of Jesus. Now, Revelation chapter 10 begins with another interlude or a parenthetical section here in the book of Revelation, which, also, which continues all the way through chapter 11 and verse 14. If you'll remember, we had a parenthetical section, an interlude in chapter 7 for the sealing of the 144,000, and this is another interlude here. There's a break here in chapter 10. You know, chapter 8, chapter 9 were pretty rough. 
And so you get a break here in chapter 10 and uh, in this particular interlude. Six trumpet judgments we've, we've talked about that have sounded. Of course, there was the seven seals, and then there are seven trumpet judgments, and six of those have already sounded, resulting in horrific suffering and death of billions of people. And that's what I say the last couple of Wednesday nights with chapter 8 and 9 has been some difficult, difficult things to talk about. Uh, we found out in those last two chapters with the, with the sounding of those six trumpet blasts that much of the world's industry and food supply and shipping com- commerce has been destroyed. There was a massive meteor that we read about in chapter 8 that was named Wormwood that is contaminated. It fell on the fresh water, on the rivers and the freshwater systems and contaminated a third of the fresh water supply. And many, many people died from drinking that poison water. An astronomical eclipse took place in chapter 8 under one of the trumpets and wiped out a third of the daylight. And then last week it was more the judgments were on the spiritual side where demon locusts were released from the bottomless pit, from the abyss and caused unbearable torture upon the ungodly for five long months. And then we saw an army, four angels that were bound in the river Euphrates, how they were loosed under that sixth trumpet and an army of 200 million demons were released and led out under those four angels to kill a third of the evil people upon the earth. Now by now, by now, because back in the, in the seal judgments we found that that there was under one of the seals that uh, there was a fourth of the population killed with the rapture of the church and all of those that have died through these judgments probably around half of the population of the world is gone by now which means right now as we've said the population stands at right at 8 million so you're talking about the death of roughly around 4 million people through the these judgments and through these plagues that had taken place. So six trumpets have sounded, and now it's time for the seventh trumpet judgment. There's been so much horror, there's been so much death, so much destruction that has hit the earth that I imagine humanity is going to be crying out and saying, well, this is it. This is the end of the world. However, we found out last week that even after all of these judgments that are taking place and the tremendous suffering that is taking place under them, still they would not... They would not repent. Many of them, most of them would not repent of their sins. But people will be saying, is this the end of the world? Is the earth doomed? But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. It looks like it when you read about these judgments and we talk about those things that are going to happen under these trumpet judgments. We read about and look at the, at, the, at the terrible things that are going to happen under the wrath of God. We think, yeah, this is it. And, and we, we, I want to remind you again that Jesus said that this tribulation 
would be so bad and so terrible that if the days were not shortened, there wouldn't be any flesh saved. In other words, if he wouldn't shorten the days, if it were not for the mercy of God intermingled with these judgments, that the, then there would be, it would be the end of the world. The entirety of humanity would be destroyed. But Jesus said that because of the elect's sake, there, those days would be shortened. So the answer to the question, and you hear people talk about it, you know, well, you know, is this, is, are we getting close to the end of the world? When is the world going to end? There's been guys over the past, you know, that have predicted the end of the world. But you know what? The world is not going to end. The world is going to continue on. This age, this age and dispensation is going to end, but the world is not, there's not going to be a per se an end of the world. The earth is going to be, I'm getting way ahead of myself now, but the earth is going to be renovated by fire and a new heaven and a new earth made. The earth will be renewed and restored to its original, to its original condition as it was better than it was even before the fall. But the earth, there's not going to be an end to the world. There will be destruction upon the earth. There will be judgment upon the earth. There will be devastation upon the earth. But there will be a final triumph of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ over evil and over the devil and over all the destruction that is going on on the face of the earth today. There will be a final triumph. Can I get an amen? God has the last say. You've heard it said before. I've read the back of the book and we win. Amen? I've read the last page. I've read the last chapter, and we win. God comes out on top in this situation. Praise the Lord. See, God has an eternal plan, and God's eternal plan for salvation, God's eternal plan for a new heaven and a new earth will be consummated. The kingdom of God will come, and God is going to. Listen to me. God is going going to conquer evil. Amen. The devil does not win. He may have deceived himself to the place Satan may have deceived himself to the place where he feels like that he's going to win. And he's, you know, he's still trying. He still has been all of these millennia. He's still been trying to overthrow God, but he cannot do it. God is going to conquer evil. Amen. God's kingdom will come. So keep praying that, as Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But now notice here in Revelation chapter. Chapter 10, verse 1, John says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Notice this, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Notice after all of the darkness that we have read about and that we have saw taking place, after all of the darkness here is some light. Some light comes. An awesome angel. 
an ambassador of God, an ambassador from heaven, descends from heaven to the earth. And John sees him coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, with a rainbow on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So let's answer a question, or let's ask a question, and then we'll, we'll answer it. Who is this mighty angel? When you read about it here, there, there is, um, there's a couple of different views. And uh, I don't know, I, I, when, I, when I study and prepare, I, I don't know, I was thinking today, I don't know how many different commentaries, study Bibles, commentaries, and things that I actually do read and study from, but they're, they're numerous, there are many of them, and there are some commentators that you'll read, out of, or read from, and commentaries you'll read from, and Bible teachers that you'll listen to that have the idea, they teach that this mighty angel that comes down here in, in this um, in this vision that John sees is Jesus Christ himself. Then there are others that say that no, it's not Jesus, but it's one of his mighty angels from heaven. So which one is it? Is this a description of Jesus that John's seeing? Or is it, a, is it one of the angels? The description that is given here can easily fit Christ or it can fit one of his angels, either one. And I want to say this, that whichever way we go here, the meaning of the passage here in, John, in, in Revelation 10 is not changed by holding to either position. Amen. If, if I hold to a position that you don't agree with, don't fall out with me. Okay? I got a couple of head nods, and if, if <laughs> I got a thumbs up, and if and if your position don't agree, if you don't agree with my position on this, I ain't gonna fall out with you, okay? Because you know there are, like I say, you can divide you can divide it right down the middle. There's a group that believes it's Jesus. There is a group uh, that believes that this is an angel. But let me let me let's just look at this for a minute. That and, and some of the reasons why that there are those that believe that this is Jesus because there are similarities here, and, and it's easy to see as you read this first verse that there are similarities of this angel and of Christ here in verse one. First of all, this angel is clothed with a cloud. Well, that's similar to what we read about uh, when we read about Jesus coming with clouds in Revelation 1 and 7. Secondly, we see this angel has a rainbow on his head, which is similar to the rainbow that we read about in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3. There was a rainbow around the throne of God. The third thing is that the face of this angel is like the sun, which is similar to the countenance of Jesus. In Revelation 1 and 16, it said that the countenance of his face shone like the sun. His feet, number four, the feet of this angel were like pillars of fire, which that is similar to the description of Jesus with feet that were bronze, that were, that were bronze in a furnace of fire in Revelation 1 and 15. So, so based on this, on these four things, there are Bible scholars that believe that this mighty angel is Jesus. But then there are others that do not believe that this is Jesus. So, Pastor Rick, what do you think? 
And uh, I've, I've studied this. I've, I've looked at it over the years, read and studied both sides. And I personally, here's my belief, I personally don't believe that this is Jesus, but I believe that it's an angel of the Lord. It's an angel of God. Now, why would I say that? After reading these four things, because listen, here's, here's, here's what I believe. Jesus never appears as an angel in the book of Revelation anywhere. He is using angels all through the book of Revelation to execute his judgment on the earth, but he never appears as one. In the Old Testament, we read in the Old Testament where uh, there, was, there was Christophanies. You know what a Christophany is? It's an appearance. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And uh, when, when that, those Christophanies took place throughout the Old Testament, it referred to uh, the angel of the Lord. And so that was Jesus in the Old Testament. And he appeared as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. But even in the New Testament, Jesus never appears as an angel. And especially in Revelation, he's always referred to as the Lamb. He's the Lamb that was slain. Amen. So, so that's the first thing, uh, that, that Jesus doesn't appear as an angel in Revelation in any other place. Number two is that John identifies this angel. And he says concerning this angel that he refers to this angel as another mighty angel. Do you notice that in verse 1? He saw, saw an, another mighty angel. Now the word there used for another is alon. It's a Greek word. Alon, and it means another of the same kind. And that is, he's referring to another of the same kind of angel as the strong angel in Revelation 5 and 2, as the angels that are, that are, uh, that are sounding these trumpets and involved in these judgments. It's an angel of the same kind that has already been talked about and discussed in Revelation. There's another Greek word that he could have used if he was talking about another of the same kind, but this text does not use that, that uh, Greek word. It uses the one referring to another of a different kind. So this is a different kind of angel. So I don't believe that it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing is this, and this is the, this is the thing that really gets me is that this mighty angel comes to earth, comes down to earth, places his foot on the land, one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, at, in between the sixth and the seventh trumpets. All right? Are we, are, we, are we on the same page? This angel comes down to earth, places his foot on the land, one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, between the sixth and seventh trumpets. Jesus does not come to the earth until after the tribulation period in Revelation chapter 19. That's when Jesus comes to the earth. If we place, if we say this angel is Jesus, then if this is Jesus, you have Jesus coming in the middle of the tribulation to establish his kingdom, and that does not fit with the book of Revelation or the timeline. 
Now, if you want to believe this is Jesus, that's fine. Like I said, I'm not going to fall out with you. It's all going to turn out the same. Amen. Whether it's Jesus or a mighty angel of the Lord, it's going to all turn out the same. So, but somebody would say, well, why then does this angel then have all these similarities of Jesus? Well, that's very simple. This angel could have the characteristics of the Lord Jesus because this angel has been in the very presence of the Lord. You know, the more you're in the presence of God, the more you become like God. The more you are like the Lord, the more you're in his presence. I remember Moses spent two different times of 40 days in the mountain in the presence of God. And when he came down, his face was shining. Amen? So, you know, so it could be the same with this angel. But the question then is, well, you know, who is this angel then? If you don't believe that it's Jesus, it says that it's a mighty angel. Well, then who is this angel? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. The scripture doesn't say. It doesn't say. It doesn't say who it is, okay? But here's what I think. Can, can, I, give you, can, you, can I give you what I think, okay? The Scripture doesn't say, but I think that probably this is Michael the archangel. That's, that's, that's my thinking. Because, you know, through, when you study, you know, uh, angelology in the Bible and the study of angels in the Bible, you'll find out um, that there are different hierarchy, hierarchy of angels and rankings of angels. But Michael, the, the, Michael is the only angel that is referred to in the Bible as an archangel. I was reading in one of the, one of the, one of the commentaries or some, somebody that I was reading after the other day, and he mentioned Gabriel the archangel and I said no Gabriel's never referred to as an archangel the only archangel referred to in the Bible is Michael the archangel Jude refers to him as Michael the archangel in that little epistle of Jude in verse number 9 there is no other archangel but Michael he is superior Michael is superior to all other angels okay and there are in Innumerable companies of angels, and Michael is the superior chief prince. Daniel calls him one of the chief princes, and also that he is the prince, Michael is, over Israel. Michael is the archangel that watches over and protects the people of Israel and the nation of Israel. Amen. So why? Now that's my thinking. I, I like to say the scripture doesn't say this is Michael, but I just personally believe that it that that's who this is. But why the why then is the description of him so similar to Jesus in Revelation 1? And here's another th- reason I believe it's Michael is because of that description and how similar it is to Jesus. But the name Michael literally means who is like God. Who is like God? So that would also explain the similarity of their characteristics. Michael represents God's presence, represents God's authority, and represents God's power. He is a mighty angel. And that's the angel, that's what, that's what John saw, a mighty angel coming down. And Michael is a mighty angel. It is Michael and his angels, as we'll 
see in a couple of weeks in Revelation chapter 12. It is Michael and his angels that are under his command that will literally cast Satan down out of heaven to the earth. I'm talking about a powerful angel, a mighty angel by the name of Michael. Amen. We read in Revelation 20. We'll get to there one of these days, probably around the first of the year. Amen. We'll, we'll get to Revelation 20 where one angel comes down. One angel comes down and takes a chain in his hand and one angel binds Satan and throws him in the bottomless pit. And I've preached on this before and the scripture says, and shuts him up. Praise God. One angel is going to shut the devil up. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Amen. Angels are powerful. Angels are mighty. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who are the heirs of salvation. And God has a host of angels. And I want to tell you something tonight. They're mighty. They're awesome. They do His. They do God's bidding. They hearken to the voice of His Word. And I'm going to tell you something about angels angelic beings you've got one you have an angel that God has assigned to you to watch over you. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord, it's not Michael, but I don't know what you know Brother Shambach used to say, I got two angels and I know their names. Somebody said, what are their names? He said, goodness and mercy, because he said goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. <laughs> Amen. But praise the Lord. We have angels that watch over us and protect us. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Right here in the middle of this bleak, dark time of tribulation, when all this mess, all of these judgments are being poured out, demon spirits and hordes of demons are covering the earth and tormenting and killing people. Right in the middle of this dark time, the mighty, a mighty angel of God, God sends his angel to the earth. Verse 2, he says that he had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. One foot on the sea, one foot on the land. This angel, that tells us that this angel has been given complete authority over the, over the land and over the sea and over the entire earth for this particular moment. And he says in verse 3 that the angel cried with a loud voice as when the lion roars. And when he cried out, notice this, seven thunders uttered their voices. Seven thunders uttered their voices. What in the world are these seven thunders? Well, these seven thunders, since they uttered voices, are probably a reference to the voice of God. God gives seven utterances here that are seven thunders that John hears. And, um, I, I, you know, well, is there any scripture to back that up? I mean, it doesn't say that this is the voice of God, that these thunders are, but... David was writing in Psalm 29, and in Psalm 29, David talks about the voice of God and likens the voice of God to thunder, and as David talks about the voice of God in Psalm 29, he mentions 
just so happens to mention the voice of God in Psalm 29 seven times. He says, the voice of the Lord in Psalm 29, 3, says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like the young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. Let's just all say that. Glory. Praise God. The voice of the Lord is awesome. Come on. And he hears seven thunders. The seven thunderous voices of God roar. And John hears them. This, these utterances of these seven voices. What did they say? You want me to tell you? We don't know. Oh, you're getting a lot of revelation tonight, aren't you? Amen? We don't know. It's a good question. What did they say? Because guess what? It doesn't say what they said. Because look at verse 4. He said, now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, John's, man, it, it must have been something good. Because John's got his, got his scroll out. He's getting ready to write down what was said. He said, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So John's ready to write what he had heard these utterances, these thunders uttered, utter, and a voice from heaven forbids him to record what he's heard, these utterances. Why was he forbidden to record them? We don't have a clue. We don't know it. The scripture doesn't say. I mean, you know, you know why, why, why would we want to speculate about something that the scriptures is, are silent about? Huh? That's how false doctrine gets started, by the way, is when people just make up their own, their own uh, uh, thoughts and ideas about the scripture. I heard one guy here a while back was talking about those four horsemen of the apocalypse we read about a few weeks back. And he, you know, he, he said one of the horses was, stood for communism, one for socialism, one for communism, one for capitalism, one for Islam, and uh, one for something else. I don't know. But how did he come up with that? He just made that up. You can't just make stuff up. When it comes to the Bible, you can't just make stuff up. Amen? Uh, scripture must interpret Scripture. How many knows that? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You've heard that, haven't you? And so Scripture's got to interpret Scripture. And uh, you can't just pull stuff out of context. And that, like I said, that's how false doctrines get started. You can't just pull Scriptures out of context and say, this is what it means because there's no private, no Scriptures given by any private interpretation. So John, we don't know. Uh, we don't 
don't know why that these that he's told not to copy or not to write down. He's he's told, you know, there there's a lot of speculations, but we don't know. And listen, there is there are there are there are entire doctrines, ladies and gentlemen. There are entire doctrines that are built, um, false doctrines, by the way, from these. These seven thunders. Ellen G. White. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Ellen G. White. She was the founder of the Seventh Day Adventists, and she had much to say. She wrote. She wrote entire an entire book about these seven thunders and what they meant. Well, you don't know what I don't know what they. You don't know what they mean. I don't know what they mean. God told John, "Don't write it." So I don't have any right. The Mormons also, they, they have, they have uh, their doctrines, some of them that are based on these seven thunders. And like I said, that's where false doctrine comes from. But the Scripture makes it clear that the message of the seven thunderous voices were to be hidden. They were to be hidden. They're not to be, they're not to be written down. They're to be, he said they were to be sealed. He said, John, seal it up. Keep it a secret. So why is it even mentioned? It's like someone saying, man, I know something. I, I know something man, that's really good. What is it? I can't tell you. Can't tell you. Well, why even bring it up? Amen. Well, what's the Lord doing? Is he, you know, is the Lord just teasing everybody? Uh, no. I believe there is a little message here, though. In the fact that he had John to, to seal this up and not to give what was said. And it's, it's this. It's a simple reminder. Are, are you with me? It's a simp- this is a reminder that's given to us that there are some things that we simply do not know. I don't know it all. You don't know it all. Amen? And there's only one that does know it all, and that's God. And I'm not Him, and you're not Him. Come on, amen? There are some things that we just don't know. There are some secret things. Deuteronomy 29.29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So listen, God said the secret things belong to Him. He said there are some secret things that belong to Him, to Him alone. And if God doesn't reveal it, then leave it with Him. Amen. There's things I don't understand. There's things I've been through in my life I don't understand. There's things that's happened to me and Vicki over in, in the course of our life I don't understand and I don't have an answer to and any preacher that will stand up and say I know why everything happens he needs to get in an altar somewhere and pray through amen because God's the only one that knows there's some things we do not know let me tell you something let me help you here just a little bit tonight if I can you don't have to solve every problem you don't have to know every answer you don't have to unknot every difficult situation. Amen. If you have to know, if you have to know, and there's some people, well, I just have to know and I'm not going to be satisfied until God tells me why that happened the way it did. 
But if you live that kind of life, that you just have to know everything, you're going to, you know, listen, you're going to, you're going to be on a, you're going to, your life's going to be like a roller coaster. You're going to be up. You're going to be down. You're going to be in. You're going to be out. You're going to be upside down half the time. But let me tell you something. When, when we can reach that place of saying, you know what? I don't know why. Amen. God hasn't revealed it to me in the Word or He hasn't revealed it to me by His Spirit. I don't know how come, but I tell you what I do know. I know who. I know God. I know I belong to Him. I know He's on my side and He is with me. And I know what His Word says. And no matter what happens, I'm going to stand true to Him and live for Him and serve the Lord all the days of my life. Amen. See, the enemy's out for your faith. He's out to destroy. Every, every attack of the enemy is designed for one purpose, ladies and gentlemen, and it's to destroy your faith in the Lord. And Paul said, I, I, he said, I know whom I have believed. You remember when Jesus was, went to wash Peter's feet? And he said, you're washing my feet? Jesus said to Peter, he said, What I do now you understand not, but you will hereafter. And let me tell you, that's the way that I found a lot of things in life to be. So this is a reminder to us. We don't know what the seven thunders uttered. There's things we don't understand. There's things we don't know. But we continue to trust in the Lord for He is God Almighty. Amen? Praise the Lord. Verse 5. We're going to get it here. The angel. We're getting into the good part now. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it. Notice this, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, we're, we, we're, we haven't got to that yet. In the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. This is another to me an indication that this angel is not Christ himself because of the fact that he lifts his hand and swears by God, by the Creator, implying that God was greater than the angel. It's, he swears by him who created all things. And we know who that was. The Bible said in Colossians 1.16 that Jesus created all things. Amen? So the angel makes a declaration, and he says that there should be delay no longer. He swears an oath to God that there should be delay no longer. This means, this means that time has run out. That there will be no further delay. That the end will now be consummated. This is the beginning of the end. We're getting at the midpoint of the tribulation. 
just three and a half years, and it's all going to be over, and things are going to change from this point. The sounding of the seventh trumpet brings about, now hear me tonight, the sounding of the seventh trumpet brings about the completion of the mystery of God and will bring the last, it will bring in the last events of human history. What is the mystery of God? It's going to bring the completion of this mystery. The mystery of God is this. It pertains to the reason. And everybody's asked this question. It pertains to the reason why God has allowed Satan to continue his reign and his mayhem for these thousands of years. That's a mystery. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, God, why don't you do something about the devil? Well, I mean, see, we could go a whole another area here. Number one, he has done something about the devil. Jesus conquered him at, the, at Calvary. As far as our lives are concerned, you have been given power and authority through Jesus Christ over the devil. But have you ever had people out here in the world, you know, people that don't know Jesus, and they ask that question. Well, if God's a God of love, why don't God, why does he allow all this? Why, does, why is there so much suffering? And why is there war? And why is there murder? And why is there rape? And God has nothing to do with that. That's the work of Satan. That's the work of Satan. But the mystery of the Lord, and we've all wondered that, Lord. We know from what the prophets have written. We know from what's in the Scripture that, that, you're, that you're, you know, you're, you're, you've told us about your kingdom that's coming and the millennial reign and the new heaven and the new earth. When will you do something? When will your will be done on the earth and your kingdom come? Let me tell you something. This is what he's saying here the mystery of God is about to be consummated it's about to you know what is a mystery a mystery in the Bible is something that we didn't know but then God reveals it to us amen behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump the trump sound and we're going to go to be with Jesus amen that was a mystery nobody knew about the rapture until it was revealed to the apostle Paul and here's the mystery about 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 Satan and what he's been doing and the mayhem that he's done on the earth and the mystery of God is when is God going to do something? The prophets have predicted the kingdom age when all evil will end, sin will end, sickness will end, hurting and trouble and sorrow will all be over and a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will set up his kingdom and rule and reign on the earth. And what the angel is saying here, you've wondered when it's going to happen happen we've saw souls around the altar in our study that are praying for God to avenge their those on the earth that have that have martyred them and killed them and persecuted them when's God going to do something let me tell you something this angel is saying time is running out the mystery will be finished there is no more delay the unfolding of his plan for the ages is ready to be fulfilled 
and the mystery will be no more and will be made plain. Let me tell you something, saints. God is going to confront the ungodly and the evil of this world for the last time and destroy them and establish His kingdom and rule and reign on this earth. Hallelujah. It's coming. I said it's coming. It's coming and we're nearer to it than we've ever been before. Go ahead and give the Lord a praise tonight. We're nearer to that than ever before. Hallelujah. The devil is going to be locked up. He's going to be put in that bottomless pit. Amen? Hallelujah. And so the time is, this is it. When it comes to this point in the tribulation, the angels say, and this is it. The time of delay is over. We're entering that last period of the tribulation, and that's it. No more reprieves. No more, you know, doing it over. It's going, this is going to be it. God is operating on His time schedule. And He's, he's, going, he's going to do what He's promised to do. He said it was what the prophets, what He had declared to His servants, the prophets, and all through the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied about the millennial kingdom, the reign of the Messiah. We read about it in the New Testament. Praise God. Everybody was wondering, God, when's it going to come? Israel thought, the, he, listen, the disciples, I mentioned this Sunday morning, the disciples thought when Jesus rose from the dead and, 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 and ascend, before he ascended, they said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this it? They knew what the prophets had predicted about the kingdom age. But he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That God has, has, has in His power reserved to Himself. But He said, here's what you need to do. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost and go out and be witnesses to me. And let those times and seasons take care. But ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years have passed. We're getting close to that time of that kingdom age to come. Amen? Amen? But we, you know, we're not dominionist kingdom now, people. We're, we believe in a rapture. That comes first. Let's finish up. I could talk more, but I got to hurry. Verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, telling John, go. Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So, he's, so I went to the angel. John goes to the angel and he said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, take, notice this, take and eat it. Take this book and eat it. What? Eat it? Well, haven't you ever heard, you know, and this is figurative language, of course. Haven't you ever heard of somebody reading a book and said, oh, it was such a good book, I just devoured it. Huh? Yeah, I've heard Brother Rod say that before. I've just, I, oh, I just devoured that book. Well, he didn't put it on his plate and throw some ketchup and salt and pepper on there and tear the pages out and eat it. But he, <laughs> but he, he, he fed upon it, okay? Well, that's what he's saying here. He said, take this book and eat it, and it'll make your stomach bitter, but it'll be sweet as honey in your mouth. So he said in verse 10, then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and... 
ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. So he says, take this book. Eat this book. Angel tells John, it would be sweet in your mouth, bitter to your stomach. So what is this book? Now, I know there's some that say this is the same book that Jesus, that God took, or Jesus took from the hand of God, the seven-sealed book. I don't think so. I don't believe this is the same book. It's two different Greek words, as a matter of fact, that are used for that book or that scroll and this one. I believe that this book, and notice, I believe it's a symbol of the Word of God. I believe he's talking about the Word of God here. It's a symbol of the Word of God. Because the Word of God is sweet. How many can say amen? The Word of God is sweet. Psalm, Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15 and 16, Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Amen. In other words, it was sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. The word of God is sweet. I don't know about you, but I love the word of God. The word of God is filled with some sweet promises. It's a word of grace. It's a book of blessing. It tells us about the love of God and about the goodness of God. Amen. It's a sweet book. Amen. Do you ever just have you ever have you ever just been reading the word and just meditating reading the word and just go mmm Oh, man, that's good. That's good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, the promises and the blessings and all the good stuff that's in the Word, it's sweet as honey to our mouth. But it's also bitter. It's a, sweet, it's a bitter sweet book because it's sweet, but it's also a bitter. It's a book that is filled with wonderful news of eternal life and of the blessings of God, but it's a book that's also filled with tragedy and with judgment. Amen? I mean, we read chapter 4. We studied chapter 4. We just about shouted, you know, all over the place. And when we studied Revelation chapter 4 about the rapture and the scene in heaven and being around the throne of God and all of that good stuff and the 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of angels that were singing worthy is the Lamb and praise God. I'm telling you, that was some sweet stuff. Come on, amen. Was that some sweet stuff when he talked? we talked about the throne room of God and how we're all going to be there one of these days but I'm going to tell you the last two weeks the last two weeks that we've studied this book hadn't been so sweet has it we've talked about judgments we've talked about demon spirits we've talked about torment and torture and sickness and death and dying that's kindly bitter that's not sweet it is sweet that we are saved it is sweet that we are going in the rapture it is sweet that we're going to miss the judgments of the tribulation and we are going to escape but it's bitter ladies and gentlemen that there's so many multitudes that are not going to escape and are going to have to go through this and some of them maybe of our own family that are going to miss and have to go that's a bitter thing to think about And but yet the word of God is both sweet and bitter as well there's sweetness in this book if you will obey it Huh? 
There's sweetness if you will obey it. But I'm going to tell you, if you reject it and you, you scorn it and you disobey it, there's nothing left but bitterness. It's bitter to disobey it. Amen? Isaiah said in Isaiah 1, 19 and 20, he said, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, see, there's the sweet. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good. You'll eat the good. How many want to eat the good? How many want the blessings? How many want the good stuff? How many want the honey from the rock? Come on, amen. Well, then obey. Do what it says do. But he said, if you refuse and rebel, if you refuse and rebel against the word of God, you'll be devoured by the sword. That's the bitter side. This is, the word of God is described in Hebrews as a sharp, two-edged sword. Amen? Cuts both ways. It's, it's a two-edged sword. There's blessing and there's judgment. There's blessing and there's cursing. I don't want the cursing. Amen? I want the blessing. And so that's what he's telling John. Eat this book. It'll be sweet in your mouth. It's bitter to your belly. Bitter to your stomach. In verse 11 he said to me, after John takes the book from the hand of the angel and he eats it, and he said, oh, it was in my mouth of sweetness, but it was bitter in my belly. And then the angel said to John, you must prophesy again about these, about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So what's happening here? We're about done. What's happening here? John is being recommissioned by the Lord. He's on, where's, where's John at? Where did we find out? Where did we find out six years ago when we started this? Where did we find out? <laughs> he was he was where he was on the isle of patmos he was persecuted isn't that right well it you know it hadn't been that long june 15th is when we started so we're, we're doing good um but he was on the isle of patmos he was being persecuted right he was out there domitian had had him exiled to patmos and thought that's where he's going to stay and that's where he's going to die the ministry of john is over with that's what the devil thought that's what domitian thought but it didn't work out that way the angel has him to eat this eat the word of god digest the word of god devour the word of god get full of the word of god and he said to me you're not done yet you're not done yet john you must notice that verse 11 you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. I'm not finished with your ministry yet. So he's recommissioned to go proclaim the word of God to the whole world. He is to proclaim what he's just eaten. He's to proclaim the bitter as well as the sweet. He's to proclaim the judgments that are coming as well as the salvation that is coming. Amen? Some only want the sweet. They don't want anything that, it, that they, you know, they call negative. Only the positive. They only want the sweet and the blessings and the good things of God to be preached from behind the pulpit. But I'm going to tell you something. I've been commissioned by God to preach this book, the full counsel, the whole counsel of God. I'll preach to you the sweet. I'll tell you about the blessings, but I will stand and tell you the bitter stuff as well. Amen. We've got to 
have them both. Well, don't give me no negative stuff. I don't want no negative preaching. I just want positive. You take your negative cable off your battery and you ain't going very far. Come on, somebody. We've got to have the positive and we've got to have the negative. We've got to have a balance of the preaching and teaching of the Word. As long as you're walking in His will and His ways and in His Word, you will have the blessing of God. Come on. You will have the sweetness of honey, but don't turn away from Him and deny and rebel and refuse the Word of God. It won't fare well. Amen? It won't fare well with us if we do that. Those in Isaiah's day said to the preachers and the prophets in Isaiah 30, he said, they said this, don't tell us what's right. Tell us nice, smooth things. They even said this, tell us lies. If you have to lie to us to make us feel good, tell us lies. Listen, every preacher and every teacher of the Word of God is called to proclaim the sweet and the bitter of God's Word. To preach the love, the mercy, the grace, salvation, but also the judgment, eternal damnation. The fact that hell is real. You don't hear very many preachers mention hell anymore. Hell is a real place. And not everybody's going to heaven. What was it? I heard a statistic the other day. 80%, 80% of the people surveyed, and I don't remember who did it. But 80% of the people said they believed in heaven. And 70% said they believed they were going there. <laughs> Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I wish that was the case. But it's not the case. There may be 80% believe in it, but ain't 70% going out of that 80. There's a sweetness. There's a bitterness. So feed on the Word. Eat the Word. Amen. Now next week, we'll be getting into chapter 11, dealing with the rebuilding of the third temple. There's a, there's a temple going to be built in Jerusalem. The Jews will have a temple. Amen. Where is it going to be? It's going to be on the temple mount. They will have a temple that will be built. And then we'll talk about the two witnesses that will prophesy in Jerusalem. Who are those guys? You ever see Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, you know? Who are those guys? Well, who, <laughs> who are these prophets, these witnesses of the Lord that are going to prophesy for uh, 1260 days during the last part of the tribulation? Who are they? We'll find out next week. Okay? God bless you. Amen. Let's have a word.